Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We are in our sermon series, 1 Timothy, Sound Doctrine in the Church. This letter was written to Timothy by Paul because there was a problem in the church. This letter is intended to address issues that the church was facing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gathered together this morning to worship you. I pray that we can continue to do so with hearts motivated by bringing your name, honor, and glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What you're looking at is a picture from Women's Strike Day in 1970. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this, but this is a representation of the feminist movement. This is at the beginning of the feminist movement, and what I'm about ready to say is this. The feminist movement is a satanic perversion of gender. Crystal Wright says this in the Washington Post from 2013. I'm going to read what she had to say. Men go off to war, defend women and children against harm because they're stronger. They are inherently providers. Women bear children, care for them and their husbands because we are naturally nurturers. Or nurturers, shall I say. Ryan's going to give me a hard time later for that one. (laughs) It's time for men to man up. Women to be feminine again in America to reject the lies feminism is built upon, which are abortions and career women. No one can have it all, especially women. Crystal Wright goes on to say this, You can't be a millionaire CEO and a great mom too without sacrificing something. Modern day feminism is a rebellion against God's created order. That's all it is. Now, there's three phases to feminism now that we've seen over these last decades. I'm going to go ahead and break these phases down for you very generally. The first phase is this. Beginning in the 19th and 20th century, women's rights to vote and other legal issues came to the forefront. Women didn't have an opportunity to vote, so that was actually a good thing. It is a good thing that women have the right to vote. That's how it started, because the second phase is totally different. That went from 1960 to 1980. That was all about sexuality, domestic violence, reproductive rights, and massive changes to divorce laws and custody laws and the rights thereafter. It all kind of sounds good for the most part. Some of those things aren't so good. Some of those things are good. But now we get ourselves into the third phase, which is 1980 up until present day. What do we have now? We have augmentation surgeries, gender identification. We have the Me Too movement, which sometimes is legit and sometimes is not legit. That can be used to tarnish a man's reputation. 
some lady can step up and say, well, 45 years ago, such and such happened, whether it did or not. See, there's a problem with feminism. If you go to gotquestions.org, you can read this. I'm going to read it for you. It says, modern feminism is a counterfeit solution to the real issue of the inequality of women in a sinful society. That's all it is. Feminism was originally a positive movement focused on giving women the basic rights God intends for every human being to have. Tragically, feminism now focuses on destroying distinctions in the roles of men and women. Brothers and sisters, feminism is not empowering at all. In fact, feminism does not promote freedom. Actually, it does quite the opposite because it promotes bondage and it promotes slavery. All men are not created equal. That's in the Constitution. That's not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible are you ever going to find a verse that says all men are created equal. But I guarantee you, if we go out in the street and ask people where that came from, they would tell us it came from the Bible. Genesis 2.7, I'm not just saying this because it's my opinion. We're going to allow God's word to say what he has to say. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Genesis chapter 2, 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of Man, all men are not created equally, especially when it comes to the role of a male and the role of a female. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. Our title is this, The Church's Approach to Widows. The Church's Approach to widows. We're going to be in 1 Timothy like we have been recently, chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses... 3 through 16, and when we do that and before we get into this text, we need to remember that last week we were encouraged on how to properly correct sin. Ultimately, we were encouraged to know that God is honored only when we correct sin, but when we do so in love. So you can correct sin all you want, but if you're not correcting sin in love, then God is not Honored. Today, it's going to be all about the church's approach to widows. This morning, it's all about what God's Word has to say about His church and the nuclear family. So with that being said, let's get into our text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own husbands and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. 
But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learned to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any unbelieving woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning, we're going to go ahead and put them into this one sentence, and that sentence looks just like this. The Lord's compassion on widows is delivered through family and the church. The Lord's compassion that He has upon widows is to be delivered through family and the church. Before we begin, we need to define the term widow. And I think that's important for a lot of us here this morning. Because if you're like me, traditionally, I always thought a widow was someone who lost a spouse. But the definition is much broader than that. Because there are those of us here who have lost a spouse. And you are clearly defined as being a widow, but there are more widows amongst us than what we recognize. The definition would look like this. Someone deprived, robbed, or suffered loss, or just being flat out left alone. Therefore, this could be any woman who's lost their husband through death, any woman who's lost her husband through desertion, any woman who's lost her husband through divorce, or simply any woman who has a husband who is incarcerated currently. Now let's define true widows, because that's clearly what the text is getting at to this morning. Not just widows, but true widows. See, a true widow is a woman who is completely alone, who is without proper resources. That's a true widow, but also true widows have a saving faith in Jesus. So not only are they completely alone and without proper resources, but they also must have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. They must have the Holy Spirit living within them. So when it comes to women who are truly widows, as our text says here this morning, the church then is obligated to support them spiritually, financially, and materially. This support is not universal, though. It's a case-by-case situation, because not all men and women are created equal now, are we? Each case is different and unique, 
how one came to be a widow over another is different. The lifestyle that the widow was accustomed to prior to losing her husband is different. You don't give somebody $25,000 a year if they're used to living on $75,000 a year. You don't give somebody the reverse of that either, now do you? Each individual case is different, it's separate, and it's unique. Now, this support is not required, though, if a true widow has a capable family, and we say that from the church's perspective. The burden is not on the church if the one that's widowed has a family who can take care of her already. That relieves the burden from the church. Now, if she does not have a family that is capable, then it becomes the church's burden. Brothers and sisters, as believers, we are all called to care for widowed grandmothers and mothers, brothers and sisters, if we're able. I believe a few weeks ago we were encouraged in the Word to show patience to those who are aging with the same patience they showed us as we were being brought up. Now, if those who are truly widows do not have believing family members, the church may have to step in to honor these widows because that's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy now, isn't it? He's saying we need to honor these widows. But see, that's a challenge for us as well, even if we have family members, that we need to step up and do this. But as a church, from the church's perspective, it may just be necessary for the church to step in and honor these widows especially if they do not have family. So brothers and sisters, widowed women, unfortunately for us as we look at culture today, widowed women are on the rise. The numbers are not decreasing. The, numbered, the numbers of, or should I say, the amount of widowed women in this world is increasing. Now I know the population's increasing, but also because of our culture we see an increase as well. I want to read this to you from Pew Research. This is from this year in March 2020. The U.S. has the world's highest rate of children living in single-parent households. For decades, the share of U.S. children living with a single parent has been rising, accompanied by a decline in marriage rates and a rise in births outside of marriage. See, the feminist movement conceals this sinfulness. Again, feminism is not empowering at all. Feminism does not promote freedom. Actually, it does quite the opposite because, as we said, it promotes bondage and slavery. Now, as we look at verses 5 and 6, we see it says, she who is truly a widow is what? Worthy. She who is self-indulgent is unworthy. There's two different types of widows. Widows who are worthy and widows who are unworthy. One that is dependent upon the Lord, the latter upon herself. Being dependent upon the Lord is to be committed to His church in which He executes the provision needed for the widow. Brothers and sisters, this commitment is anchored to a hope on God, as we see right here. And it continues in supplications and prayers. Basically, 
The widow who is worthy is consistent in serving others through prayer and other means and taking care of other provisions that need to be happening within the church. And I know quite a few of you here at Villa's Grace who are doing just that. You are serving females, serving other females within the church. But on the other hand, she who is self-indulgent may be alive physically, but is actually dead spiritually. I'm sure we've all observed wild oats being sown. Whether you, you see that happen with teenagers coming up or you see that with widowed women, the minute they are no longer in marriage, a marriage that they felt maybe held them back from doing the things that they wanted to do, the minute they get that freedom, they go out and sow some wild oats. They want to participate in everything they believe they were denied while they were married. This is what we need to be on the lookout for. When we see these types of things happening, we understand that that's a widow who is unworthy. That's a widow who is not committed to the church. It is not the church's responsibility to take care of widows who are busy sowing wild oats but it is the church's responsibility to take care of widows who are doing exactly what it is that God has called them to do. Those who are consistent within the family of God. And we now move along to verses 7 and 8 and see in verse 8, it's clear that it makes provision for one's household. And it's abundantly clear what we see. My brothers in Christ... I want to speak to you for just one second here because in our culture today, at the very least, you need to be taking care of your household, but at the very least, in order to do so, you better have a life insurance policy. See, in order to take care of your household, you need to be out providing. Hopefully that you are in a position now where you can provide for your household. You can provide for your wife. But if you don't have an insurance policy, you're not providing. I know that's one simple illustration. That's one simple example. But what happens to your wife after you pass away? Too many people run around and live life, but they neglect to even do something as simple as that. You can look into policies if you want. It's a monthly payment, but you don't want to leave your wife left holding the bag. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. The Lord has commanded us to provide for our household. But these provisions begin with compassionate love. Compassionate love reveals our faith in Jesus. That's why we show compassion when we show love. It's not for us. It's for us to reveal what Jesus has done for us. It's for us to mimic the same compassion and love that Christ had upon us, the reason why he went to the cross. In John 13, 35, he writes this. John wrote, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. I'm sorry, John wrote this about what Jesus said. If you have love for one another. If you don't have love for your brother or sister, 
How's someone going to know that you have faith in Jesus? My brothers, those who failed to provide for their household, do as what it says here, has denied the faith and is worse, is worse. You're worse than an unbeliever. A life insurance policy doesn't cost that much. You can get a half million dollar policy for around $35 to $45 a month. Can you spare $35, $40 a month on your spouse? My brothers, those who failed to provide for their families, or as it says right here in the text, household, have become chewed up and spit out by the feminist movement. You've been belittled. You've allowed culture to tell you that you're less of a man. Just look at commercials on TV. For years, you could watch sporting events littered with commercials for beer advertisements, and they always make men look weak, silly, and stupid. They make men look like idiots. And they always show women as being in control and powerful. And this brings us to our first point this morning. When necessary, the church should provide for widows who have a saving faith in Jesus. When necessary, the church should provide for widows who have a saving faith in Jesus. Now, the reason why we have the word necessary there is because it's only when There aren't already family members who can step in and provide. A true widow will be taken care of by the church in compassion, in love, receiving provision from her church only when she does not have family members who can step in and do what the church will do as an insurance policy. Again, our main idea this morning says this, the Lord's compassion on widows is delivered through family and the church. God is using both the widow's family and the church to bring compassion upon widows. As we move on to verses 9 and 10 in our text this morning, we observe this. What does it say? It says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. See, we must understand what this meant for the early church in this period in time. Widows could be enrolled in groups that actually served other women within the church, and that's exactly what Paul's getting to here. He's saying, let, their, let them be enrolled, but not unless they're younger than 60 years of age. Now, 60 was a significant age because it was believed that this was around the time that sexual desire had waned from a woman. It was around the time that it was believed that this had started to fade. That's very important because by the age of 60, she would have already have brought up her own children. She would have already developed a good reputation and a skill of hospitality, a know-how. She didn't need to be trained in this. She's already done it. Now she can start doing it for the church. And this allowed her to be, as it says, devoted to every good Work. She could keep her eye on the prize without distractions. No husband to worry about and no children to care for. That is the perfect opportunity to get a widow involved in the church so she can help serve other women and children. 
Now, see, in, in verses 11 through 13, quite the opposite is true for younger widows. These are older widows that we just described now. Paul is encouraging Timothy as what to do with the younger widows. Chances are they're not done childbearing because they're younger. Not saying that 60 is the magic number. That's not what we're saying here this morning. But a younger widow, somebody who lost their husband at a younger age, probably could still bear children. What does it say? For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And that's exactly, brothers and sisters, what Paul is encouraging Timothy to not let happen. See, it's difficult for women with a desire to marry to serve children without wanting some of her own. That would be a distraction. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with this, though. Nothing wrong with this, except, what does it say? They learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So we could say, wait, wait, what's wrong with a younger woman serving in this capacity? Or not necessarily a younger woman, but a younger widow. What's wrong with a younger widow serving in this capacity? Really, technically, there isn't, but there is this warning. They could be learn to become idlers as they go from house to house, gossiping, being busybodies, saying what they shouldn't say. See, a busybody is someone who sticks their nose into other people's business. Imagine going from home to home doing just that if you are a younger widow and you're going from home to home within the church, sticking your nose into other people's business, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the one thing that I keep on remembering that somebody told me when I was younger, saying and now sticking and now trying to realize that that's more true than what I thought, but people's favorite subject most times, or maybe we should say all times, people's favorite subject is other people. So if you're going around as a busybody, as a younger widow, sticking your nose into other people's business, you may just find out the strengths and weaknesses of some of the marriages within the church. And here you are. You're young. You can still bear children. You may just break up a family. This is a safeguard. This is a safeguard that Paul is warning Timothy about. As it says, their passions draw them away from Christ. Make note of that in verse 13, where it says, they learn. They may not have this desire originally, but because they're being allowed to be busybodies, they become idlers, they start gossiping and saying things that they shouldn't say to other people. And what happens? They learn this behavior. You may not set out to do this. In fact, I would say most people don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I want to start off on a journey that ends in divorce. It starts to happen slowly but surely over time. And that's why Paul's telling Timothy, you need to let these younger women know that they have to have a safeguard. 
And that's why he's drawing the distinction between older widows and younger widows because an older widow has already been there and done that with her own family. Now she's in a new transition of life and she can be used to help serve other widows while the church or maybe her family helps serve her. My sisters, just remember, this is a learned behavior. Whether it's in the church or outside of the church, we as Christ-following believers know that we have the propensity to become busybodies, gossips, idlers. The rest of the world has no idea. They are blind to this. See, Paul is really warning young Timothy to keep the young widows out of Satan's classroom. So what's the best way to achieve this? How do we keep young widows out of Satan's classroom? I think that answer is found in verse 14. Because in verse 14 it says this, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Brothers and sisters, I knew that this statistic was high, I knew it was high. I had no idea that it was this high. 85% of all affairs begin where? The neighborhood picnic, the block party, going out for a drink with the girls. No. A bachelorette party? No. 85% of all affairs begin in the workplace. Again, you can thank the feminist movement for that. Because at the end of the day, what's the feminist movement telling you? No, you don't need anybody's help, especially the church. You can do it on your own. You're empowered. You're an independent woman. You don't need a man. What should younger widows do? I'm not going to lie. I hope I don't lie. Maybe what I'm trying to say is I don't have an answer for this. This is difficult. So what is it that younger widows should do? Now, I'm also speaking to you older widows here. We have quite a few older widows. Older widows can help minister to the younger widows, first and foremost. So if you are widowed here this morning, just know that you have a tremendous responsibility within this body. But what should younger widows do? I don't have the answer, but when I look at verse 16, I think it indicates that younger widows and older widows alike should be cared for by other relatives who have saving faith in Jesus. And what I'm saying by that is this. I think both younger widows and older widows need accountability. Because without accountability, who's going to let you know that you're becoming a busybody or a gossip or an idler? We all need accountability. Ultimately, this relieves, or, or actually I should say relieves, it does, because it relieves the church of the burden of having to do so itself. It shouldn't be 
the leadership of the church's responsibility unless it has to be. Even here at Villa's Grace, we have too many older widows that could come alongside a younger widow. So the leadership of the church doesn't have to. But if we don't have the opportunity to do that, then you better believe that the church will step in and do so. And one of the first things that an older widow should figure out is whether or not there's family members taking care of the widow. I can think of an example of probably our oldest widow here at our church who hasn't been able to be here in probably two and a half, three years. She has a son that takes care of her. She has another son who isn't capable of taking care of her. If the one son is no longer capable of taking care of her, then it becomes our responsibility to do so. Older widows, it may just be you that is the one that figures that out for the church, and then you bring the issue to us and let us know what you think we need to do, especially as a female, as a woman. Maybe God's using you because you know more than what we know. Maybe you might have that touch to know, hey, she needs help from the church. Or maybe you could assess the situation and say, no, I think she's being cared for by her family already. Regardless of the case, we must first be encouraged by our second point and our final point this morning, no matter what it looks like. And that says this, younger and older widows need the same compassion but require different deliveries. That's all that there is to it. The compassion remains the same, but the way in which the compassion is delivered and then received is different. First, it's the family, and if there is no family, then it's the church's responsibility. But I hope you hear what we're hearing this morning, what we hear Paul telling Timothy. Women need to be provided for. We live in a culture today that is difficult. Because I think if we're all honest here, how many of us can survive off of one income? I'm not saying that I like it, but I know in my household, we depend upon two incomes. This isn't 1945 anymore. The sin is the same, but the rules have changed. But as men, we need to do everything that we can to provide for our household. Everything that we possibly can. But I also think, and this is an encouragement too, because if you're here today hearing this as a man, just even getting to church with your family is a step in the right direction. Because at least you know you have one insurance policy. But again, I would encourage all men to get that second insurance policy. Look into what you have to do to provide for your family even when you're physically no longer here. Jesus himself says that we are worse than an unbeliever. Again, our first point this morning says this. When necessary, the church should provide for widows who have a saving faith in Jesus. And finally, our, our main idea this morning stated this. 
The Lord's compassion on widows is delivered through family and the church. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I can tell you what I'm encouraged by this morning. I'm not encouraged by feminism. I'm not encouraged by the fact that women have to enter the workforce. That really wasn't an issue until the 1970s. Why is it that we went so far for so many years and then all of a sudden the 70s hit and now women have to go to work? Times have changed. Our adversary is very clever. But my encouragement that I see here is this. Not one person individually is the sole responsible one for somebody's provision. This is a team effort. This is a group effort. That's what God is doing here. He's saying, husbands, you have to manage your household. But also, if you notice what we saw, women serve not only their home, they take care of the responsibilities in the home that the men aren't gifted to take care of, and then they can do the same thing at the church because they have the experience. But then if there's no family members to take care of the women, then it's the church's responsibility. Recently, I just want to share this. Serena Williams complained about her career and how she's not able to be at the top of her career. And to be honest with you, she made the excuse that it was because she's a mother. Because she has responsibilities that a man doesn't have. Women are nurturers. Men, we need women to be nurturers, don't we? Incredible athlete she is. Professional, making millions of dollars throughout her career. She even recognizes that she can't just fully dedicate herself to that because she has a responsibility. We have a responsibility too, men. Church as a whole, we have a responsibility. We may not like the way in which culture is going. We have no control of the way in which culture is going, but we definitely have a guide for how to behave whichever direction culture may turn. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for your word, the truth that is so evident, especially against a world that is counterproductive to what you are doing. You're saving us for all of eternity, not just the moment. And I pray that we can be a church that moves forward to share that message with others. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.